1: Welcome
2: to the wheelhouse.
1: You can see the confidence build day by day, and there's an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from.
2: Starring Jerry Depoto And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out of the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill, Jr. He
3: seems along those lines where he wants, to be great and does everything possible to go get it
2: it's time for the wheelhouse here's aaron welcome once again to another episode of the wheelhouse podcast i'm Aaron's broadcaster aaron goldsmith joined as always by gary hill Gee, man gonna be with you man i'm so
3: excited to be here <laughs> with both of you
2: both of us that is the key uh jerry it's great to see you as well we haven't uh, been able to talk much since that whirlwind of a trade deadline
3: it was a whirlwind. Uh,
1: I needed Gary's enthusiastic <laughs> entry to to, to me, really make me feel like it was over. Yeah, and nobody, I now focus on new things.
2: Nobody can bring enthusiasm like Gary. I think that's one of his great strengths in life.
1: He energizes the room.
2: He really does. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. First of all, before we dive into the trades that you did uh, at the deadline, take us back to what it was like for you and your crew. Let's call it the, the 48 hours up until the bell finally rung. I'm what was the deadline like from your perspective?
1: The final day of the deadline was probably about as dull for us as it looked like on, on the outside. It wasn't as the rapid fire as they've typically been for us in years past. We worked on a few deals where we were just immersed in trying to push something across at the end, but they were mostly happening one at a time. Where oftentimes in, in that, during that last day, you're, you're jamming on four or five different things simultaneously and trying to see where one thing may or may not fit uh, in conjunction with another. But in this one, we were, we were moving pretty methodically. And, and we didn't, obviously, we didn't come up with one to, to push across the goal line, but it was, uh, it was a much calmer pace than, than in years past. And maybe that's because we were active a little earlier.
2: I mean, there's no doubt that the overall deadline uh, league-wide was uh, a frenzy. I mean, have have you seen a deadline that had quite as many players, especially of such significant value, move uh, at, at the deadline like we saw this year?
1: Never seen anything like it before. I mean, it, it, it was entertaining to watch as, as everything was starting to fire across, you know, ESPN or the network, whatever you're watching. And, and the tabs are being kept. It was kind of like the, the, the ticker, you know, running along the, the bottom line on CNN or at, at the stock market. With the, the names that were being exchanged, you know, at one point we were trying to count how many Cy Young awards were now residing on the Dodgers <laughs> pitching staff. So it's, uh, it, it was pretty phenomenal to track. It had to be exciting for fans. And, and just about every team in the league was active in, in one way or another in the days leading up to the deadline. And, and nobody was doing it with uneventful acquisitions or trades. It was, it was pretty fascinating, actually.
3: I mean, there were 10 All-Stars from the game this year that were (laughs) traded, which is pretty remarkable. You know, in the deadline in the past, it was a deadline, but not really a deadline because you still had a month where you could get some deals done. But now it's it's a true deadline. This feels like the last chance with the way it's structured. How much was that part of the activity that we saw, the flurry that we saw?
1: I think that was the absolute number one driver in this whole thing. You know, I, I know there's, there are a number of teams that are, that are in the hunt, so to speak. Three or four teams in, in the National League that are right there, you know, hunting for that second wild card. There's another three or four, maybe five in the American League that are made in, in that same hunt. But I don't think that was as big a driver as what you just said. You know, the, the absence of the waiver period in August really changed the way teams behaved especially in a year where everybody is having some challenges in terms of injuries, mm-hmm. the, the the potential for COVID list placements, mm-hmm. you know, and even trying to manage innings pitched for, for a number of guys who didn't pitch a lot in, in 2020. So all those things really snowballed into what became, you know, a, a very unexpected but entertaining deadline.
2: Uh, this question is not specific to this year alone but you mentioned the dynamic of you're on the phone justin hollander is on the phone your crew is working out or trying to work out potential trades while also trying to keep up with what other teams are doing is there ever a situation where you find out about a trade involving a player that you are actively trying to acquire and you find it out on MLB Network or on a social media platform and not from the team that you're dealing with? Or is there like like this gentleman's agreement that you get told by the party that you're engaged with that that player has been moved someplace else?
1: It, It happens, I don't want to say frequently, but it happens annually. And it happened to us this year on a couple of occasions. But more often than not, when you're unwilling to go that next step, to, to add in and acquire a player that you've you've been in pursuit of the team will tell you all right we're, we're moving in another direction and sometimes they really are moving in another direction and sometimes they call you back in a half an hour and say okay so you know it's a and and oftentimes the way you know the difference between will they call back in a half an hour or are they really moving in a different direction is when it slides across you know the the screen in front of you So we don't fault any team. Once you've gone as far as you're going to go, or once you say no, then there there are no promises. You know, the the other team goes in whatever direction best fits their plan.
2: Let's talk about the trades that you made. Uh, For whatever reason, the acquisition of Tyler Anderson. Like, didn't exist. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're the first person to ask me about this.
2: <laughs> and I, you know, it came across uh, officially like, late and later at night, uh, late in a ball game for the Mariners. I'm trying to exactly pinpoint why that is. I mean, normally when you acquire a starting pitcher who a team uh, – really needs that that's kind of a headline news but it, it wasn't for whatever reason uh, what did you like the most about tyler anderson that made you go out and get him
1: his consistency you know the steadiness and for us that was a great example of the question you just asked we had been engaged on tyler anderson for weeks actually uh, leading into the the trade deadline and for the multiple days prior to actually acquiring him I, I believe we were one of the teams that would have been counted as a finalist when a trade went through with, or was going through with Tyler Anderson and the Philadelphia Phillies. And, and for reasons that I'm not entirely sure, that deal didn't work out. And we we were left there thinking, okay, it's, it's within the half an hour, <laughs> give us a ring, we're still interested. So, you know, we had already done a good deal of the work on, on how we matched up for Tyler and, and the fact that we were able to quickly pivot and, and pick him up. You know he fit our needs, you know, we really needed someone to stabilize our starting rotation We had been for multiple weeks going through uh, and actually for most of the year when you consider the number of starters We've lost we have been toggling back and forth between trying to manage off days and and find someone to pick up the slack with all the guys on the the IL and oftentimes running out some type of opener or bullpen day and whatever it was going to be and we feel like Tyler solve that riddle for us and and that was going to be required for us you know in pursuit of a postseason berth or just to get through the last two months of the season and be as competitive a team as we can possibly be he he does all of those things and you know he's he's got some you know pacific northwest roots having played at oregon really good guy throws a ton of strikes and he's hyper
3: competitive it's i i feel like he gives us a chance every fifth day Tell us what attracted you to Abraham Toro.
1: A lot of things, as as I think you've now seen. You know, Abraham. It, for us, it starts, and, and I've said this before. You know, it starts with our our analysts upstairs. Mm-hmm. Our process, and it's been this way for a number of years. You know, they find they find signal in a player's performance or what a player is doing physically, and they bring it to the attention of the rest of the front office and. You know, at that point, our analyst, our video analyst, and our scouting analysts will start pouring through that player once the flag has been raised, and and do a deep dive on on that skill set and how it fits for us. And we'll then go out and scout the player live. And Abraham's a guy that's been on our radar for a number of years, and it was particularly difficult to find a match with the Astros, especially mm-hmm. as we were going through the early stages of our rebuild. You know we we were starting to move established major league players in mass the astros didn't have a lot of holes you know at that point and and i can't say that the astros have a lot of holes now but they had one obvious hole which was to to fill their bullpen a little bit but abraham's a switch hitter he's got hit ability from both sides of the plate he's got power from both sides of the plate he manages the strike zone actually in ways that a lot of our guys don't He's, he takes his walks and manages it that way. He's also very you know bat to ball oriented and makes a ton of contact in an era where that's not a super common thing. you know, and he, and he manages to keep a low strikeout rate. He runs well and he can play most positions on the infield, especially second base, third base. He's even played a little bit of shortstop in his past. And, and I think in pure sprint speed, uh, if not Dylan Moore, he is the fastest player on our team. And I, I think by pure stat cast sprint speed, Abraham is, is that guy. So it's a pretty fun skill set to add to the team. And, and no one has really focused on this. He's the same age as Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh. You know, it's a, he's a young player that we have here with the Mariners. Foreseeably, for 2000, actually after 21, he's here for another five years, which is you know, a really fun fact for a growing team. And, and, and we plan on him being a part of that. Uh,
2: Joe Smith comes over in that trade as well, a longtime veteran side armor. I have to share with you, I, I ran into uh, the great Bill Raftery, one of the fantastic college basketball analysts uh, we've ever had. I ran into him at a function recently, and he starts asking me about the Mariners. I'm thinking, wow, Raft, I mean, you're dialing in, man. He's like, hey, you got uh, you got Joe Smith, didn't you? Whoa, yeah, yeah, Raft, we did. And then the light bulb went off. Joe is married to Allie LaForce. Allie LaForce, a terrific sideline reporter for CBS, Raft CBS, the whole thing, right? And Raft tells me a story, and I have to know what you think about this as a general manager and a former big league pitcher. He's telling Joe Smith one night, uh, late at a cocktail party, he's like, You know, Joe, I think if just one time, just one time you just went over the top and threw a strike (laughs) and they'd take it. They wouldn't expect it. They wouldn't know what's coming. Just one time, go over the top. Uh, I think that's a pretty good idea. What do you think? Just When you need a strike, I think Joe Smith over the top, nobody's swinging at that.
1: I don't think anybody's gonna swing at it either, but there's multiple (laughs) issues that might arise. One is you're probably not just gonna rise up and throw a strike, you know, it's, it's not that easy. Uh, even then, if you do, the chance of getting back into your normal slot and then comfortably <laughs> throwing strikes is not going to be I- ideal. So, I, although in theory it seems like a great cocktail party, yeah, it's a conclusion. great idea, Raft. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd go. There.
2: <laughs> the idea of a um, loosened up Bill Raftery telling Joe Smith about this, uh, I think, is nothing is better than that. You know, I mean, coming from uh, somebody who I can't even imagine. Uh, being as dialed into Major League Baseball as he actually is raft is locked into it, especially on Joe Smith's career.
1: Hey, it's awesome. And, and Joe's had a phenomenal career. Uh, there's a, one signed Joe as a free agent and it was a, it worked out to be a terrific contract then. And it, he has uh, Joe has pitched in more Major League games than any active pitcher. Uh, he he knows how to get outs at critical times. And you know, for for family reasons, he opted out of last year's season. And I think his, as we talk about the some of the struggles with players coming back off low or no pitch count in 2020, you know, 2021 for Joe has been a lot of starts and stops after completely missing an entire season with no physical issue. And uh, and he, like Rafael Montero, there was a lot of signal in his performance to suggest. He's been incredibly unlucky. I mean, he's rolling a, a BABIP that is higher than uh, than he's ever experienced, and really higher than can be sustained. Sooner or later, that will likely come down. And despite these surface struggles with a high ERA and and the super high BABIP, you know, there's still a lot under the hood that suggests he's still very effective, particularly in handling right-hand hitters. And, you know, and having been with Joe for a couple of years before, I, I Joe is a phenomenal, you know, clubhouse presence, mm-hmm. and just one of the best guys you're ever going to be around. And not really limiting that to to what he does on a baseball field. He's just a really good person, and and he's nice to spend time with. And and he when he is there, he's invested in you and in that conversation. And and I think that makes him different in a in a major league environment. And and he's been through the wars. He's he's been a World Series champion. He's been to the to the big stage. And, you know, prior to acquiring Joe Smith, we didn't have a player in our clubhouse with that cred. And and I and I think that matters is having somebody like that around who's been through that in their career. Well,
3: speaking of that, Diego Castillo, you can say the same thing. He has been through it as well. He has pitched on the biggest stage and now he's at the back end of your bullpen.
1: Yeah, and, and, and somewhere along the way for a guy who, you know, for since 2018 has been one of the better relievers in the American League and who just pitched a lot in last mm-hmm. year's postseason right through the World Series, he's really good. And Diego has – he's got a mid- to upper-90s fastball. He will occasionally, you know, get it to close to three digits. He's got a wipeout slider. He has been a strikeout pitcher whose control has improved with almost every year that he's pitched. And he's been durable and resilient. and and he's twenty seven years old. and again, a player that we will move forward with, you know two thousand twenty two and beyond. you know he he has the the ability to be here with us as we walk through what we think is going to be the door toward contention for many years. and And he's going to be a big factor at the back of our bullpen throughout, we believe.
2: Your bullpen next year. Is going to be breathing fire. I mean, you've got guys right now on the Tommy John IL coming back that'll that'll be in your bullpen next year. Plus Castillo. I mean, walk us through how your bullpen is setting up for next season.
1: Uh, I'm excited about it. To 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 be to put it mildly, to have Diego Castillo, Ken Giles, to have Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald, who's definitely put himself in a position. To uh, Paul Seawald has made so uh, so much a believer out of anyone who's watching right now there's and and he did it largely on his own by executing ideas that that he brought to the table that rob marcello brought to the table that trent blank and and pete woodworth brought to the table and then he went out and executed almost flawlessly as the years gone along You know, Anthony Mishevich, Drew Steckenrider, these guys move forward with us. And and young guys in our pen who've really started to show flashes. You know, Eric Swanson, we're hopeful to see Wyatt Mills, you know, come through this. And we do still have uh, Keenan Middleton moving forward. So it's a, I I don't want to say we have more pitchers than spots in our bullpen because I will regret ever speaking those words. But, you know, that's an exciting group to grow with and some real power, some real strikeout ability. Now, you know, what, Really portends a, a great strength of our team. It has been in 21, and we think it will continue to be moving
3: forward. I'm glad you brought up Seawald. The strikeout rate, you're talking about Kimberl, Hayter, Seawald. That's what we're talking about with this the strikeout. Mount rate. Rushmore of strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, <out. laughs> it's ridiculous. He's striking out everybody.
1: And, it's, and when you watch it, it's not, none of it is surprising yeah. with how he's doing it, the deception he's creating. The, I mean, the right-handed hitter right now, with, with, I mean, with Paul coming from what feels like behind the hitter's back, it's almost like a left-on-left type mm-hmm. matchup, which is very unusual in today's game. But he's not doing it with what would ordinarily, you know, that, that we'll call it the Dennis Eckersley or even mm-hmm. Joe Smith, who can really be murder on right-handed hitters. They're doing it with sync. You know, Paul Seawald's doing it with Ride, which is phenomenal, and and he's doing it with that sweepy slider that he can start at a righty and break over the the outside corner, and it's he's frozen a lot of hitters. He's gotten a lot of really awkward swing throughs, and the way he's able to create that same deception, cross firing a left-handed hitter, has been a revelation for us. And. No, I I think Paul has been among the most pleasant surprises in this season across baseball,
3: not mm-hmm. just with the Mariners. He's
1: He's been awesome.
3: You know, I think that's one of the big stories, not only of this year, but the past two trade deadlines. When you think about some of the names, Seawald, uh, Chagua, you can throw Nola in that mix. You go down the list of – and we've talked about it before with a team like the Dodgers who – They have the resources, free agency draft. But it's been guys like Max Muncy and Justin Turner, right? I mean, that's the development of guys out of nowhere. And you've been able to do that, not only producing for you, but being part of some pretty major trades to bring back guys like Ty France and Diego Castillo. How important is that moving forward?
1: It's huge. You know, I'll go in. I will go in humbly and and I guess embarrassingly and say another one of those for the Dodgers is Chris Taylor, you know the 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 teams that are that are right now thriving have done those mm-hmm. those things very well you've acquired you know, Anonymous players or hidden stars, and and really just giving them opportunity, and and it's been a focal point of ours, and, and we continue to focus on doing those things. And I, I found it, you know, last year at the trade deadline when we were being, you know, hunted on Austin Nola, and we were allowed to then go out and hunt down guys like Luis Torrens and Ty France, mm-hmm. and it, that that really fit for us. That, that all three of whom I believe are in that category. Also in that deal was Austin Adams, who's another one in in, in that yeah. general light. And and in this year's trade deadline, I mean we were we did ultimately trade JT Chagua in the deal that brought us Diego Castillo. And I would venture to say there were a dozen teams that inquired on Paul Seawald and yeah. You know, we were a little more resistant in in, in including him in any type of deal because we felt like this was we didn't want to just absolutely break down a bullpen that had been so good. And we believe Paul had forward moving. There there were a lot of stories being told by what he was doing and how he was doing it Mm -hmm. that that led us to believe that 22 and beyond had a chance to be every bit what we're watching right now, which Mm -hmm. is exciting. Did
2: you trade Shaguan because he cut his hair? Can you, this is an honest platform, Jerry? It was disappointing to me. I think it was it was disappointing to Scott. I mean, it was it was heartbreaking.
1: He did. It, it was a magic mean. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that that I missed about Jaggy was was you know his handling of the, the puffball with the rosin bag Oh the, the puffball was bag. the greatest I, thing ever I'll miss that and, it's like, and Is that
2: Gaylord Perry? <laughs> <It> was <laughs> not <laughs> He was uh
1: he was fun and he did a great job for us you know Shaggy we call it our pivot position mm. you know Shaggy made the pivot in a game you know going from the starter to the bullpen you know such a seamless thing for us and even a couple of times you know took it, it as a 7th or 8th inning you know step in when we needed some help and other guys had pitched a lot, and he was phenomenal. He did a great job, and, and, you know, credit to Shaggy, credit to our pitching people, credit to our analysts for putting, you know, giving us the opportunity to, to give him a, a new... I guess lease on a career mm-hmm. and put him in a great position, while we think you know adding something that that, that has incredible value to us as a franchise moving forward.
2: Yeah, he was a, a great piece, and it seemed like a really good dude as well. Great uh, all, guy. All, all the best to him in, in Tampa Bay. I know. Uh, sending Austin Shenton to the Rays was uh, not an easy thing to do. Uh, he's having a, a fantastic season. He's a local guy, which always kind of tugs at you a little bit differently. But th- that's not an easy guy to trade, I have to imagine.
1: No, and, and felt the same way about Carter Benz, uh, you know, particularly. Th- these guys, especially that group that started the season in Everett, they've, they form a core group uh, in, in our minor league system. That it goes beyond just what they do on field with their performance. They've been, you know, integral leaders in our minor league space. And uh, Austin can really hit. Mm. And he's uh, the fact that he's local is almost secondary. The fact that he can hit was the biggest thing we had to to, to sure. be willing to give up on. But. You know, he's a, I think he's going to be a good big league player. You know, we, we resolve that you have to give to get in this league, and, and we're acquiring what we think is, you know, an above-average back-end-of-the-game major league reliever who's with us for another, well, it's three years and two months of, of acquisition time. And, and that was just too good to pass up for us, especially based on our position on the win curve right now. And, you know, I, I spoke about it after we made the Astros deal uh, on Tuesday that my hope was that somehow the, the, the story that was being told with this series of snapshots would make more sense. I'm not sure that it ever really registered that this was the sense, you know, and that we were going to be able to to replace the value lost, at least on the field, uh, in the in the form of Diego Castillo or potentially Diego and others. At, while we were acquiring the young infielder that that we could move forward with, and then adding to our rotation, we felt like that was in 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 its totality, we made every sector of our team a little bit better to a lot better. And you know uh, and part of that was you had to give up a minor league player or players that that you really thought very highly of. and and we did particularly with with Shen.
2: We've talked a lot about the big league team in, in recent episodes uh, for good reason, and we strayed a little bit away from what's going on down at the farm. Uh, there have been some individual performances uh, that we wanted to touch on with you, like Noel V. Marte and his three-dinger, nine-ribby night uh, for Modesto. Uh, what's going on, full season spectrum? How's that looking for him, uh, his first time uh, stateside? <laughs>
1: he's been outstanding and you know, I think Noelve more so really than any of our prospects has has gained the national spotlight you know he, he entered the season he was on, on the back end of the top 100 for a couple of you know the, the third party grading systems didn't make the cut for others and I think now as you look at the the season updates he elevated I had for for most third parties inside the top 25 some they have him up as close as 16 or 15 and uh, I think, you know, right now, that's an exciting development for us. He's one of the youngest players in full-season baseball uh, over the course of the full season. He's shown power from day one. He's, he, it's a combination of power and speed and hit ability. And I think his most recent, you know, the, the big night that he had, you know, in, in Modesto is refreshing because July was the first real lull for Noel mm-hmm. And And I say that, the first real lull for him as a professional and it's not shocking. This is his the first time he's gone through the long season. So he was electric in May and June. He was blah in July and then came out in a big way and, and said, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm back to doing the wonderful things I was doing before. And he's, he got his second win, and, and I'm you know, looking forward to seeing how it finishes for him.
2: That sounds so much like Gary this season.
1: <laughs> blah in it's July. Huh? July
2: was just I, – I, I Gary, I, I mean, I'm not trying to go after you here. I just felt like July was – it could have been better. That's yeah. all. Uh, we,
3: blah and lol, I think is <laughs> a great way to describe. Just my whole season in general. Yeah, well, yeah. but specifically one month of it.
1: Hey, but today, it, it appears but today see, he's bringing the three homer night. Yeah, he's yeah. a three
2: homer and nine ribby night. <laughs> you know? It's what, you never know when it's going to pop. Uh, hey, Julio is in the Olympics. I'm not sure if... Uh, there might not be anybody more excited to be in the Olympics than Julio, and that's saying something. Uh, what does it mean to you and the organization to have him be able to compete on that stage?
1: Uh, I love it, absolutely love it, and, and it was a no-brainer for us when he when he expressed interest in going. Yeah, there were other of our players, uh, you know, particularly players that were domestic U.S and were were asked to be involved with Team USA that opted to stay here and, and, you know, pursue big league opportunity. And I don't blame them for that. You know, it's a it, but Julio jumped at the chance to go play for Team Dominicana. And and he was really proud to do it, it which I, I it, when you know Julio, it's a, the he was beaming with the idea that his country wanted him to play for them. And, and Julio all, was also beaming with the idea of playing with veteran players and just letting them see what he does. Uh, he's, he's not afraid of the spotlight. I think he really wanted to be involved. And it's uh, these are experiences you can't, replicate anywhere in baseball it's it's different than minor league playoffs it's different than than a regular season major league game this is this is when it's all heightened and you know you have to learn to control your own emotions your own heartbeat when when it when it's fluttering quickly in your chest because of the stage you're on with the world watching and 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 you know the fact that julio is not just doing it he's i mean he's raking during the during the olympics and and he's doing it against a, a, a lot of players, many of whom have major league experience, all of whom are much older than he is and, and, uh, and have experiences that, that he's just now gaining. So I'm, I'm thrilled for him, and I think it really uh, it, it means a lot for the future of Julio
3: Rodriguez and for the Mariners, frankly, and what, what he'll bring to the table as a result. And when he's back in Arkansas, he's going to look around and see a lot of his Everett teammates in Arkansas. There's been a lot of promotions recently.
1: He also might feel like it's blah or a lull after coming back from <laughs> from the Olympics. But yeah, it, the, the the Travs are a new team. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the players that began the season in Everett have now moved on to Arkansas, which was by design. You know, we were, we were hopeful that by mid-late July, we were going to be able to start transitioning a lot of the Aqua Sox players to uh, Arkansas while we were starting to filter some of the draftees into Modesto and pushing players from that direction. And part of the prerequisite for that was going to be that we the the Aqua Sox players needed to get off to good starts mm-hmm. and show that they had you know cleared that hurdle developmentally. And first with Austin Shenton, when we talk about Austin, when we talk about guys like Levi Stout and Matt Brash, Brandon Williamson, Patrick Frick, you know it's been it's been a pretty steady uh, I guess move of players from Everett to Arkansas. And, it's a, you know, it's a quicker league. Uh, obviously, it's not as hitter-friendly a ballpark. Mm-hmm. And some have adapted more quickly than others uh, to the new challenges. But, you know, most of the players that began the season in, in Everett are there now in Arkansas. All of our system, you know, it seems to be thriving. The teams are winning. The prospects are developing, you know, as quickly or, or you know, on par with what we would have hoped and the people in little rock are going to have fun watching this group and and there's still more pitching to come with guys like george and emerson who we we feel like are next in line
3: how difficult is it to evaluate hitters at arkansas you know it's particularly
1: tough on the right hander Mm -hmm. because it's uh you know it is a tough ballpark particularly on righties Uh, apparently unless you can just hit oppo bombs like like uh julio rodriguez which he started doing as soon as he got there and (laughs) Which, not an easy thing to do in most ballparks, but particularly in, in Dickey Stevens Park. It, it's, a, it's pretty unforgiving to a right-handed hitter. But, you know, the lefties, it plays a little fair, uh, a little more fair, especially, you know, down the right field line. And, you know, the, the idea is mostly hits are hits everywhere. And, uh, but the, the power game can be can mm. subdued a bit in, in Arkansas. You know, that being said, we, we, we love that in our system. It forces you to find a way to create runs instead of just laying back and bombing. And, and the fact that some guys are transitioning in there after having had so much success in Everett, I, I think it, it, it's a really good step in in their development. So it's it's going to be a fun team to watch. And my guess is that a lot of that team you're seeing there now will be the same group that's back there to start next year and take the next step toward the big leagues.
2: Julio Rodriguez was the cover boy for the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. Uh, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock are the uh, cover boys of a recent Baseball America uh, edition. I know both those guys were a little banged up. How are they? Health, uh, status, uh, how are they going forward the rest of the season?
1: Uh, well, the, first, we're thrilled. It's given me wallpaper, <laughs> which uh, you know I think is great. The, the the guys they deserve to be noticed, and you know the fact that that Julio has the kind of personality he does, in addition to the great skills, and performance, it doesn't shock that he's that he's on the cover of the the book. You know Emerson and, and George are about as understated as it gets. You know he, these guys are so quiet and humble and go about their business, in, in a in a little bit of a different way, but their talent is so big that it's notable and. I think so many good things are happening with our pitching throughout the organization, and, you know, George and Emerson just happen to be the front mm-hmm. men that that wind up on the cover because they are arguably the highest upside or most famous to the crew that haven't already, you know, graduated to the big leagues. But they're phenomenal talents. Emerson's now back pitching after a little bit of a layoff with some fatigue in his shoulder. Not shocking, again, after missing a lot of 2020. He's had a couple outings where he's building his pitch count again. He's back up to 50 pitches. We're seeing what we have seen out of Emerson since we signed him. is a fastball that ranges say 93 to 97. He's got heavy sink. He's got multiple secondaries. He throws a lot of strikes. It's he's going to come quick as soon as we can get that that pitch count built. And you know, George is due back. You know the. As as far as when we're doing this this taping, George is due back in a couple of days. He will pitch uh, in Everett, and he was ready to to graduate to Arkansas as soon as we can get him built back up pitch wise. I imagine that's going to be the case. But George, it's just loud stuff. I mean, the fastball has been up to 102, 103. I think his average velocity on the season is 97 and a half miles an hour with his fastball on any given day. He'll sit a little bit higher than that. He's got two breaking balls and a changeup, and he throws a ton of strikes. Maybe the best strike-thrower we have in our system, uh, almost certainly, and, and one of the best strike-throwers in, in minor league baseball. So exciting to have talents like that in our system who we think are going to be really quick risers once the the ball gets rolling.
3: 103 is pretty good for a command guy. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, I've, I've laughed about it with you guys. You know,
1: It was often cited that we were taking these low-ceiling players in the draft. I don't know if that's low-ceiling. George is pretty good, and, and so is Emerson. So we're, we're really excited about what happens once we get these guys on track every fifth or sixth day. As we pull our
2: uh, best uh, JT Chagua and pivot here to our Stump J.D., uh, I'm going to quote Gary from uh, our earlier production meeting. When I floated out my stump JD question, uh, this is a direct quote. Gary said that we need to exert our dominance. On wow! You after you've gotten a little, uh, you it's know, been you've been, been fe- too quick. You, you've been, been feeling, feeling some confidence. you yeah, feeling it a little bit it's recently. And we uh, we do not like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh a fact. God. <laughs> so, um, if anybody knows this, Jerry, it's you. But I think this is a good one for a number of reasons. Jerry, tell us the only pitcher in baseball history to hit a grand slam in each league.
1: To hit a grand slam (laughs) in each league. Yeah,
2: that's what my face looked like. Holy smokes. Maybe we did it. Maybe we uh, did it. The
1: only pitcher to hit a grand slam in each league. Yeah.
2: I have multiple (sighs) hints ready because I was hoping this would be the case.
1: I'm going to go the only pitcher to hit a grand slam in each league. Can I say can you give me an era?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, his first Grand Slam was in 1939, and his second was in 1943.
1: Wes Farrell. Incorrect.
2: That's a, that's, a, that's a solid guess. You want, you want to know teams? 1939, sure. Okay. The first salami was with the Tigers, the second was with Philadelphia.
1: Tigers, Philadelphia.
2: He won a World Series with the Tigers. Bobo Newsom? No, that's a, it's a great name and a great guest though.
1: Won a World Series with the Tigers. In 1935. Hit a grand
2: slam. Yeah. Three-time
1: All-Star. Schoolboy Row? No,
2: come oh, on, Jerry! Oh, Jerry, so come hilarious. on, man!
1: You, you led me to what? the water. To be ah. fair. <laughs> you you led me to the water. I, I
3: don't feel like. All, all right, led bonus to the points. Water.
2: What's his real first name? Start with an E. Starts with an L.
1: L. Linwood.
3: Oh, Jerry! There's, what?
1: You are the worst. <laughs> There's, I've heard this before. <laughs> Actually, I heard it all week last <laughs> week. Jerry, I am so impressed. Wow. Me There's, too. You did. You, you, you threw me in the water. You led me right to it.
3: Uh, I, don't I, know, I don't that. know if we
2: exerted our dominance. I, I feel like, like, like saying
3: hoping. he was a three-time All-Star was not leading you right to it. No. <laughs> <laughs> i got to be honest.
2: I'm just, I need a minute. I mean, I, I did give you good hints, but I could give those hints to 10,000 people and they wouldn't know the answer. Yeah.
1: But I know circles where you could give those hints to people, and I and I have I have hung in those circles from time to time, and and uh, the the rest of us nerds will figure that out and, and answer the questions. So I,
2: I I was curious w- w- how he got his nickname Schoolboy, right? I mean, like you go to his reference page, and it's his name is Schoolboy, Schoolboy Row. Ro. Like yeah. it's that much part of his name. It is his name now. Apparently, uh, he was so advanced at a young age that he was playing against much older competition. He was uh, like the Noel V. Marte or Julio of his time. And he was playing as a 14 year old in an adult church league and a sports writer and fans kept saying, "Don't let that schoolboy beat you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah,
2: that's and it took off after that. It, it is. It does have a better ring than Linwood. Nothing that's Linwood, but Schoolboy row is a great name. Nicknames Kids were better than. You know, that's that's yeah. 100% right. Yeah.
1: everybody yeah. in the 30s, 40s, 50s—they all had nicknames, and it was fun. It you was know? great. Um, yeah.
2: this this is a deep burn. This is a real burn that we feel right now. Congratulations, Jerry. The next stump, JD. Yeah, I mean it's merciless. Just I'm
3: glad we it waited no the end of the show for this because I'm pretty staggered. Uh, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't be able to continue if this were the beginning.
2: Uh, we will get to our listener question, which is a little lighter than the trauma that we just <laughs> suffered through. Uh, this is a fun one. Uh, Jordan chimes in. He, as we've referenced, it's been a point of controversy. We know your favorite dessert. and It's been well-documented on this program. <laughs> makes its way in every other episode. Uh, but he, Jordan would like to know, Jerry, what's your favorite summer cookout meal, like what's your, your favorite thing to, uh, to cook
1: in the summertime? Favorite thing to cook in the summertime. Uh, I like doing, my wife and I will do teriyaki burgers with pineapple, uh, which I like to grill. I also like to do like lamb skewers, do lamb skewers, rotate in a little bit of tomato, a little bit of onion in between and do something like that. Maybe some Mediterranean, uh, tie to it, which is great. And then we, we make this uh, like a, a what we call Texas beans that is a some it's surprise meat it could be beef it could be sausage it could be chorizo And with some you know some uh, pinto beans some white beans and and just just big old honkin' Texas beans with a nice sauce and it comes out great and they serve as a great side when you want to do the the burgers not necessarily with the teriyaki burgers <laughs> but, you know, but with most any other burger very salt hey uh,
2: speaking of food I met. A food icon the other day that you'd be interested in, I bumped into the one and only Chris Bianco. Come on, yes, <laughs> none <laughs> I, other
1: than from Pizza Bianco.
2: Yeah, I was. I mean, I was over the moon. I was. I went full fanboy, man. It There's, was.
1: I will say that you could go coast to coast, you're not gonna find perhaps unless you're in my backyard <laughs> a better pizza than you will there. That's a uh, people wait online. And we used to when I was with the Diamondbacks for years, we were right around the corner. Right. And you know, the we would go any place in, in the in the Phoenix area, we would go to eat lunch to avoid having to stand on the line at Pizza Bianco. And when I first got there I'd never been to to, to the restaurant and and after I finally just bit down on the the nail and waited on the line, I thought, "Why don't we do this every day? <laughs> this is, it's amazing." Yeah, but that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's uh, one of my absolute favorite places uh, to eat in America. And for folks who make their way to spring training, I mean, you, you have to find a way to get a lunch or a dinner piece. And it is Bianco. truly, it's
1: worth the wait yeah. on the line. it's a, it's a, it is an amazing spot.
2: It's the best. Jerry, um, hey man, uh, good work at the deadline. Even better work on Stump JD. We will step our game up next time, but we appreciate you always uh, rising to the occasion.
1: I like where your game's at. I gotta be <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, chair. You got it, guys.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.